Hey everyone, welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. And I am uh, sorry, I need to apologize to everyone for the tardiness here on the live stream. It's about 19 minutes after uh, when we were originally going to start. And um, I've just had a bunch of issues. I was traveling over the weekend, for those who don't know, and um, getting my camera back set up. I was having some issues with it, and then I had some internet issues, and I also got a cold. So I've got a bunch of things stacked against me, but I really, really wanted to get a video out there for all of you um, just to talk. And I don't think we're going to answer every question necessarily, but just to talk about what's taken place over the last two days on social media, mostly Twitter. Um, at times like this, I'm grateful that I don't have a Twitter account anymore, the, a personal Twitter account to uh, join in. Cause I, I just, um, I, I'm glad that if I make a comment, it's in the context of this live stream or video where, I can qualify it and um, I, and I may, I don't know, I don't know. Academics, I think like that kind of thing more. They're, they're long winded. Has anyone ever accused me of being long winded? I think they have. <laughs> so um, this is what we're going to do today though. We're going to go through uh, a number of things. I'm going to show you some screenshots and everything, and then we're going to have a long form conversation about it. And uh, there's already some people lined up to uh, ask questions or make comments about this. Um, also uh, tonight joining me is David, Moral from Protestia. Thanks, David. Say hi thanks, to everyone. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, it was funny. I had a um, uh, one of one of my patrons messaged me because I just linked your live stream in the in Protestia's Patreon, and they're like, "Oh, good. I was wondering how I was going to watch both live streams at once because <laughs> I usually go oh. live at Tuesday Tuesday about this time." <laughs> so it's like, so you're giving up your both? live stream to be on my live stream. Is that what's happening? Well, your live stream is much much bigger than mine, so yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, I appreciate it. I mean, we'll we'll both do it together then and just talk about some of these things. I, I saw the the longer tweet. What, by the way, I, I just got to ask, this is my own curiosity. What's up with the longer tweets, which is a good thing, I think. But what did, is that a new feature that must it's, I, it's a feature for those that are actually paying for Twitter, like paying for Twitter blue. So if you're eight bucks on Twitter, you can write, you know, extended tweets. The first 280 or something will show up on the timeline and everything else will be via okay. a more link there so yeah i like that well you had a good thoughtful um take on this and there, there's very few thoughtful takes on the controversy right now so hopefully this podcast will be one of the places you can go for a thoughtful take i want to start uh here with uh, i made a little slideshow with just some of the relevant tweets and i, I want to start before the firestorm i thought this was going to be the the big controversy but um it was overshadowed but I don't want to forget about it. So this is um, th this is a series of tweets from Josh Bice, who's the uh, president, I think, or the director, founder of G3 Ministries. And he put a bunch of things out there, mostly over the weekend. I think all of these are from Sunday and uh, Saturday and Sunday. Um, I'll just read one of them here. Uh, Even if you could uh, baptize America... It still wouldn't make America a Christian nation. The theological arm of the Christian nationalism debate is extremely flawed. Nominal Christianity is not Christianity. Carnal Christianity is not Christianity. Our aim is Christianity. And then Stephen Wolf responded and said, are you responding to actual or arguments or arguments of your imagination? And I think that was the first one I saw. And then, of course, there was a number of tweets where the insinuation was at least present that Christian nationalists would want to elect a or appoint a Protestant Pope or something of that nature. And, um, and they, it's integralism, which is a, a Roman Catholic movement, uh, essentially, or it's, it's a form of integralism or uh, includes aspects of that. 
Um, so anyway, th this is where I see this whole thing starting uh, in context. And I, and I like historical context. I mean, I, I don't know if you agree with me, David. Is this is that where you see this whole thing starting too? is with this uh, sort of uh, um, taking aim at Christian nationalism? I, I suspect both sides of the where the debate is currently have been trying to, you know, sort of establish their footing and what sort of where they stand on this you know, in private. And then, you know, what, ha what happens on social media stuff gets blown out in the open every once in a while. Right. Uh, you know, it's like the, the article I'm working on, uh, right now, I think I described it as it's kind of, uh, in, in some degrees, a, a heady theological debate that every once in a while has a little thunderstorm that hits the ground on Twitter and everybody gets mad at each other and starts throwing right. barbs back and forth. And so I always hesitate to even jump in because I have, as you know, I have, you know, friends and people who I who I respect as as brothers and as as theologians on both sides of this conversation right now. But I feel like a lot of it's a lot of people talking right past each other. Yeah, and it's usually de like definitional confusion makes us talk right past each other, and we can't ever get down to the debate. And of course, social media makes it all the more tribal. You know. Yeah, it grieves my heart. I th I hear that in your uh, tone there too. That this is. I've gone through a bunch of emotions looking at some of the things that have been written. I've had anger about the snap judgments and the failure to give the benefit of the doubt to, to some, as we'll see in a moment. I've, um, I've been sad about it. I think I'm more sad than anything. Um, and I just, I want to see unity, especially the, on the side that didn't want to go completely down the woke hole. Uh, now we're splitting and, and I, I don't, I'm not saying that I want to split. I'm just saying I'm calling it what it is. That's what it looks like. What's happening is that we are splitting into at least two different groups, probably more. So it's more of a splintering if it's more than two. Um, you, you're seeing that, I'm assuming, the same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I have conversations with, um, you know, with you and with, with others that are more sympathetic to Christian nationalism. And then on the other side, I have conversations with folks that are that are very much focused on maintaining uh, individual liberty, religious liberty, things like this. And, and they see some of the Christian nationalist side of the debate wanting to reduce or even, even eliminate, you know, some of the components of individual liberty, or at least it's moral imperative. And then the other side, um, you know, I would argue in some ways being, you know, not, not very committed to culture being, being true culture warriors in, in the current conversation. And, and the funny thing is I, I really think, and maybe it's just me being a, um, you know, an optimist or something, which I realize, okay, protesting, we wouldn't be optimists. Like people wouldn't think we're that, right. but I think there's common ground. I mean, I think, especially in terms of, uh, you know, some of the, some of the doctrinal underpinnings, but also what we're even to do in the United States of America. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so what I'm hearing, and, and I've heard this from, I, even William Wolf was saying this recently that, I mean, he, he's saying these guys are winnable. Uh, we, we have common ground. It's just a misunderstanding. There's ignorance. Um, I, I guess my cynic says that I'm not as optimistic on that. But um, I, the thing that concerns me about this, uh, the way that this whole thing started is it's it's not just that there's a misunderstanding. It, it's a it's a bad misunderstanding. It's it's a caricature. Um, I mean, I read Stephen's book, and um, I also read the what was the other one, Andrew Torba's book, mm -hmm. which are the two big ones, I guess, on Christian nationalism. And you don't find anywhere in there anything about a Protestant pope, right? Um, like, it's uh, you don't even find the word integralism uh, in, in any of this. Um, it's uh, 
I can understand people who are concerned that they don't want an official church or something like that, but this is going way farther than that. And when you character the other side, that makes for resentment. That makes for uh, you're just mudslinging at that point. It's, it's not an actual debate. I think as you pointed out, David, um, it just becomes uh, people get into their tribes and, and then no one's talking to each other with actual definitions. Um, I'm not going to read all these, but, I just wanted to point out that this became somewhat more than just Josh Bice. You had even uh, Scott O'Neill saying that the Plymouth Colonies uh, Mayflower Compact was unbiblical because it said the founding of their colony was for the glory of God and an advancement of the Christian faith. Um, Gabriel Hughes uh, taking aim at Stephen Wolfe's book, Andrew Walker taking aim at Christian nationalism. And this, this was all happening. And then we get to the infamous tweet. And this is probably where we'll spend a lot of time. So, um, <laughs> it, and it's a series of tweets. I think people need to know that, that this isn't just one tweet. But the, the one tweet that got all the attention was, white evangelicals are the lone bulwark against moral insanity in America. Now, I think I should read the rest of it, but I don't think most people criticizing this did. So it, he then went on and said, instead of saying, yeah, but me too. Why not say, yeah, white evangelicals have endured the accusations and made their block essential to moral sanity? Obviously, he's talking about voting there or, or cultural, um, uh, I guess, resistance. White evangelicalism is relentlessly attacked by the left and center right, but a guy says something positive about them and he's called racist. Weird. Uh, it's as if the establishment rhetorically, uh, rhetorical norms require you to hate this group. It is simply true that white evangelicals as a group have been essential to the success of the GOP and conservative causes, and they remain the most reliable voters for those opposing woke and transgenderism. Now, uh, it, it goes on a bit, and I just, the point that I wanted to make, and I, I think, David, you pointed this out too, is he's not making it, this isn't a theological category he's talking about here. And I knew that as soon as he said it, this is a social category he's talking about, Um well, is it, or like, yeah, political category, right? I mean, you know, sociopolitical, sure. Yeah, in, in terms of it being used in, in, in the way that the secular world would use it. That's at least that's what I took from it. But I mean, I, I think I said something like it. It might have been unhelpful to not make that clear, in, in the first tweet. But it really did. I mean, it really got people's gruff up immediately. Immediately, people are <laughs> tweeting and saying, "Well, there's no, there's no such thing as white evangelicals and black evangelicals." And it's like, yeah, okay, that's true, that's true. But if if the world is using this framework, um, I'm not saying that that somehow necessarily justifies it. But if we, when we use that term, it has to be used. It, it's automatically, at least for me, automatically contextualized by the fact that Christians really don't use that term. The world uses that term. Yeah, yeah. that's what contextualizes it for me, at least. I want to add, um, and, and the thing is, like, like I, I, I don't. Sorry, to, I, I no, just like you know, Stephen and I would disagree about a whole bunch of things, right? I mean, me, me being uh, much more of a Reformed Baptist and and probably more committed to individual liberty as a moral imperative, especially in America. Um, I, you know, we, we would we would have disagreements, but the most important thing is we have to have common ground on which to have the debate. You know, and right now yeah. the the common ground isn't even there, right? It's it's we're standing on sand. Nobody, right. no nobody can actually get their footing enough to actually have a have a good faith debate about the issue. I I think. Yeah, yeah, the, we're not we're in the cloud of war right now, and things are very murky. 
Um, I want to bring in, there's a bunch of people waiting here uh, to ask a question or make a, a comment about this. So I'm just going to bring in Evan real quick. Evan, can you uh, hear me? Are you there? Hey, yeah, I'm here. I apologize. I actually did not have a question. I didn't realize it's in the queue, but thank oh, you guys for doing fine. this. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you can go to YouTube, you know, and, and stream it or Facebook if you want, if, if you didn't want to uh, ask a question, but it's good to, to hear from you. I'm glad you uh Yeah, good to by. be here. Um, let's, uh, Wolf, wait, is this Steven Wolf? All right, Wolf, <laughs> I'm letting you in. Uh, William Wolf, Steven Wolf, any other Wolf? Well, they're not. Yeah, are I don't you... know. I'm, I'm driving. I'm driving right now. Can you hear me? Okay. Oh, it's Stephen Wolf. Yeah. yeah are you Are you gonna um, pull over or go home to an internet no, connection I'm, anytime? No, you're driving. No, I'm okay. not pulling over. If it's terrible, I'll just get out. Sorry. No, 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 it's not terrible. No. Well, we were just talking about you, so. Um... Okay. Good. <laughs> well, so so we were just talking about the reaction to this tweet that you put out there, and a series of tweets, really, and. Um, I haven't, we haven't gotten into diagnosing exactly what's behind this yet and why the reaction, but we, we were at the point of saying that this is insane. Like talk about straining at uh, gnats and swallowing camels and, and the, just the lack of sense of proportion and the lack of giving any, um, I guess, charity to the, to, or, or um, benefit of the doubt to you. What do you think is going on? Well, I mean, first of all, it's a thread. So you, you can, check the whole meaning and uh you know even in even in twitter i guess you know context matters given the uh the full thread which explains exactly what i was up to uh, i mean the, the sad thing is that it, what it really comes down to is i had something positive to say about white evangelicals um i mean that this is the, the a lot of the response you see from from like james james white and other guys like there's no black and there's no white like, all right, there's no, no black and no white, but that these people um, have been suffered like an onslaught from the left and the center right for, for years, for decades. I mean, you have Dumez's, um, Dumez, however you say her, the, the, the silly Jesus John Wayne book. Uh, the, the subtitle is how, even, how white evangelicals corrupt the faith. Right? So. Right. You know, so it's, so, so it's like these people have already been classified. You don't want to call them white evangelical, fine, call them whatever you want. But there is a class of this, these, this group of people have been classified negatively. And so in the, it, sociologically, they exist. You want to say it's not real, like cosmically, okay, fine. There doesn't cosmically exist white evangelicals, but there does exist sociologically this group called white evangelicals. And every, the only thing you're allowed to say is, is negative. But here I am, I say something positive, which is absolutely true, that if it, weren't, if, if it wasn't for the voting behavior of white evangelicals, like if you just eliminated them, it would absolutely put the left, it would be worse than Canada. It would be, it would be an absolute disaster um, politically if we didn't have the white evangelical vote. And that's just true. But I'm saying something, I said something nice about white evangelicals. And that freaks them. That's, you know, every, everyone loses their mind. But if, 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 this, if this actually, if this group actually exists sociologically, then why, why not say something positive that's actually true? You know, so that, that's, I mean, there's more to all this, of course, but, um, but it, it's just a ridiculous response to say, oh, this is not like, 
this group is not real. Well, you know, it is real, and they've endured a lot. I mean, seriously, for years, they've been called, uh, I remember there was like a Christian Today article, there's spiritual darkness, and uh, every single evangelical elite writes for the Gospel Coalition says, uh, you know, things like, uh, like, you know, shows like the rotten fruit of, the, uh, of I don't know, uh, I don't know, uh, nationalism or something like that. And you just saw this repeatedly. Uh, but here's a group that held the line. Like, you you want to talk about, like, some of the successes of the conservatives, conservatives over the last, like, 10, 20 years. And David French wants to say, yeah, we we actually have uh, had some success in the constitutional side of the courts. Like, okay, well, yeah, but why is that? Well, because of the voting behavior of white evangelicals. I mean, I know not, there are no white evangelicals on the court, but uh, but nevertheless, it was the voting behavior that was in place. Anyway, I'm I'm ranting on, but but uh, I'll just leave it at that. Well, it, it's a helpful rant. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to uh, give you some. We probably have responded to some of these already, but the responses to you. One is. Uh, that you should have said it better. You should have just, and actually David just kind of, he, he didn't say it exactly that way, but I think that's what you were saying, David, is is you could have phrased this better. You could have been more Only clear. that maybe the political context could, could if it had been in the first tweet, but honestly, I mean, that's not, that's not to blame, that's not to blame, uh, you know, Stephen for the, I would argue the sort of hyperbolic responses that followed you know, if the, if the political context had, had been in the first tweet, probably not everybody would have ran to the keyboard to, to you know, make sure that they, they, they're clear about everybody being, um, you know, there being no, you know, male yeah. or female, Greek well, or Jew under, I, under Christ. I, I, had someone, <laughs> I had someone reach out to me today and text me and say that, you know, this is what you did, Stephen, was, uh, was just... It, they didn't say dumb, but that's really what they meant. Like this was careless. It was with everything you stand for. With did Christian Cannon Press say that? Well, Cannon Press did. Yeah, we're gonna get to that tweet. Cannon <laughs> Press said this is dumb. Yeah, some you know the Chocolate person who's texting maybe. me was just, you know, and, and and I I might differ with you on this, David. I actually my initial uh, reaction was I'm glad Stephen said what he did. I I really am the way he did because it exposed, in my opinion, a lot of people who some of them don't weigh in on things in general that are political. Others uh, will weigh in sometimes, but not like this. And to, to see them all get set off, I think that's the shocking thing to me, to see how many people got set off so quickly. It was like a, a, a beehive and the bees were swarming. And, um, you know, Stephen, I, I actually am thankful that you phrased it that way. I mean, would you rephrase it, though, if you had to do it over? I think Steven's on mute. I think you pushed your mute. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if I if I had to redo it, um, I, I I guess I would. But then you know, I was between like uh, doing some kind of weird experimental quad lift, um, you know, lifting weights. So I, I, who knows? Maybe, maybe the next set I would have said something different. Who knows? <laughs> um, but uh, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, what about this? I, I think, oh, go ahead. But I, I yeah, I, the way I mean. Everyone's like freaking out about the loan part, but it's it's if you read the rest of the tweet, I, I understand like the, the first one by itself can kind of be confusing. Uh, I, I I also think that people uh, I don't know they don't understand the categories of social science, the white evangelicals, the standard you know sociological term, um, you know. Uh, 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 so, uh, but the the idea is that it's the lone group. Like in terms of groups, is there any other group? that has 
withstood the sort of like attacks and then and you know in the last in the recent years, like in terms of like the regime's assault on them, uh, it it has it has endured and and both Republican like eighty eighty five percent. So I, the, the tweet as as I intended, I can understand how some people can take it differently. Uh, and but I think I also think you're right that it, it exposed people have like this sort of race brain. I, I've called it race brain for years, where they like, once they get like some sense that something's racist, they 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 literally lose their minds. Like they can't, they're incapable of thinking clearly, and they say things that are stupid. Like they 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 have to, like like literally you can't even break them free from their absurdity because they're so locked in this sort of race brain. Like, oh, that's racist. And so they say dumb stuff um, in reply. And that's why you read, you read like a lot of the replies and everything. You just think, this is, like, theologically, this is stupid and bonkers. And like, why, why would you think this actually deals with the issue? And don't you understand there's a, uh, like, like, there's just a thing like, oh, you can't d- divide the body of Christ. And like, well, do you understand, like, that's ecclesiology. Like, this is sociology. Like, do you, like, do you understand there's, like, a difference? There is, like, a real thing in this discipline called white evangelicals. Um, uh, so so it, one of the things was uh, that, that people were critiquing there is, as you just rightly stated, that the theological category of who belongs in the church is transcends race, and therefore... I'm trying to my best to understand this and to articulate it, but it sounds to me like most people believe that race actually is a social construct, even on the quote unquote conservative side. And they, they think that in the church, those, because there's unity in Christ theologically, which is absolutely true, then these cultural significant things that you're pointing out uh, should, I guess shouldn't be pointed out. I don't know. Um, but some of them will use, like, I found some tweets of some of these people criticizing you using the term black church. And it's just, I, I don't know what to make of that. Like, it's just, um, you can't say, I think what you said at the beginning, Stephen, is correct. Like, you, the rules are you can't say anything positive about white evangelicals or white Christians. Um, so, I mean, do you think it, it, there is a conflation of the theological category of being one in Christ and then, at the same time, the sociological thing, or they, they're unable to separate those two because of ideology or something. Yeah, I, I mean, they're like it's just this race brain thing where they start conflating theological, ecclesiological categories with you know like social science categories. But I mean, like you're absolutely right that the that that there's a, there's a, like a sort of rhetorical double standard um, like built in like to our I don't know, rhetoric, what do you want to, whatever you want to call it, where if you're going to talk about like anything white, it has to be bad. Uh, and if you say anything good, it's racist. Um, or, you know, you shouldn't talk in terms of race. But then these same people talk about the black church and they talk about white racism and they talk about, so they'll deploy these categories when it's useful and it's only useful in propping up like, you know, whatever they want to label black or, or to attack whatever they want to label white. Right. So there's, there is that sort of double standard. It's, it's hypocritical, which is, you know, accusing things of hypocrisy is usually boring, 
but but I mean you have to understand that's like built in. So what happened here is like here like I say something positive about a sociological category that uses the term white, and all these evangelicals like freak out that I'm now categorizing people by race, even though they've been doing it for years. And even the people who, you know, like they'll still say, uh, like the, even the people who are like anti-woke, they'll still say, um, you ask them, well, does, does racism still exist? They'll say, well, yes, there is. There are still some people who are racist against like blacks or whatever. Well, you're just, again, categorizing people by race. Like you're just deploying the categories whenever you found, find an expedient. Um, but again, what, what I was doing is I'm, I'm, saying here's a group of people who've been classified by a term. I don't care what term you want to use, but that's a term that's used. And I'm going to say something positive about them, but they freak out because they're in their race brain, like rhetorical mind. You, you, you have to associate, like you have to universalize like it's the white or, or it's bad. Um, or you, or, you, know, you, know, you have to like, it has to, you can't actually say something good to the exclusion of anything that would be non-white. You do that, that's racist. But of right. course you can do that for anyone who is non-white. Like you can praise all day long. Like you can, you can, you can say like African bishops um, are the, the, the lone bulwark uh, maintaining the Anglican communion or whatever it is. I mean, right. you, can say that all, you can say that all day long because you're not talking about white people. And again, like, like I don't care, like, yeah, so generally like, these are all like sociological constructs, but they still become real if after like years and years, a, a certain subset of the population are classified by the media, by academics, by our own like evangelical elites. I mean, Keller talks about white evangelicals, Russell Moore talks about white evangelicals, David French talks about white evangelicals. So, so of course, like it's, it's been reified, it's been made a thing. And so you can then say, okay, let's, if it is a thing and there are these people and they have this particular voting pattern that is good, well, then we should say that is good. You know, we can say that is good um, for that, you know, that, that, that uh, population of, of uh, people. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Stephen, I don't know how much longer you have since you're driving right now. Uh, we got a few people that want to... Um, call in and maybe ask you a question, but I want to pitch it to you, David, uh, since we do have Stephen unexpectedly with us on the stream. Is there anything you want to say or ask of Stephen? Well, it, it seems like the, I mean, the, the sociological categories of white evangelical, black evangelical, they're, they're used as a, as kind of a cudgel against, I would argue against enemies of the church and I mean the godless secular world and those that are trying to attack sound doctrine as like a bait and switch. And I was trying to explain this to a few of our, um, of our, uh, you know, Christian brothers who are, I mean, very much theologically aligned with us who are African American that the, the, the idea is when, like when they attack, when the world attacks white evangelicals, they're really, they're attacking the, the, the doctrine and the ideology and the, and the, um, the theology behind that. And that includes all of our, um, you know, ethnically diverse brothers and sisters in Christ that agree with us theologically. And when they say the black church, they're not really, uh, they're not really trying to promote or exalt or, or, um, or praise, 
all black churches. They're trying to they're trying to promote or exalt a specific theology that is just statistically more common in the black church. That's you know it, this is about ideas and doctrine and theology, even though we're looking at it through an abstraction. And I mean, guys like Russell Moore or David French or whoever are going to talk about this in terms of an abstraction when they say like when when uh, Kristen you know Kobe Dumez says. Um, white evangelicals, she's saying conservative evangelicals. And it just happens that the correlation is that most of them in the United States are, are white people. The target is the doctrine, though. It's not It's not the skin color. Well, right. It's just that the, the culture uh, from which this conservatism arises is, is a culture that is rooted in the Western tradition, specifically in our context, the Anglo-Western tradition. And and, and I, I would think there'd be a reason that denominations that have um, come from that part of the world uh, would also mirror political views that also come from that part of the world and uh, or at least were developed there. Um, there's, a, there's a correlation. I mean, I, right. I, my, part of part of what I'm working on right now is that, that basically establishing this idea that there is a there's an individualism that because a lot of the a lot of the folks that are really opposed, like in our theological circles, who are really opposed to the, the some of the ideas of Christian nationalism. And I mean, they're worried about the the elimination of indiv individual liberty and things like this. But there is a a brand of individualism that that is rooted straight out of the Protestant Reformation that's that is that is distinct and different from enlightenment enlightenment individualism that I think is really important that we we yeah. we, dis, we discuss at some point because that it forms some of the common ground I think between the two the two argument the two camps in this argument um, if you can find common ground, David, I will I, I will give you a hundred dollars <laughs> <laughs> if you if you can bring these sides together. Um, hey, uh, Becca, Becca, if you want to turn your mic on, I'm going to add you to the stream. We, we have a bunch of people online, so I need to get to them. Um, we have Stephen Wolf with us right now. And so I would, since he's the one who uh, created the tweet that's getting all the attention, um, if you have a question for him, now would be the time. So, um, Becca, I don't know if you're able to turn your microphone on, but if you are, uh, we will come to you. In the meantime, uh, let's add John to the stream. John, if you can turn your microphone on, uh, take it off the mute, then uh, we'll come to you. I think this is hard for some people, David. I don't know. if it, What do you use? Do you use uh, the same program I do, the uh, StreamYard? Um, no. Okay. Nope. I've noticed that um, sometimes the people who use Zoom, when they come onto StreamYard, it can be a little difficult. Yeah, it's it's the browser settings. You got to go into like when you when you pull up StreamYard in your browser, make sure that you go to the settings and choose the right microphone right. and choose the right camera and all that. It's a little setup. Well, um, if uh, Becca and John, if you guys want to take your microphone mute off, I will come back to you. Um, Ed Sanders is Ed Sanders is ready. Ed, <laughs> of course, you're, you know, but your microphone, uh, if you could turn that on, uh, your video's there. Can you uh, hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. How you doing? Actually, I didn't have a question. I was, I just oh. logged in a few minutes ago just to, I saw that notification in my email and uh, thought, well, I better get in on say this hi? and see what everybody's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now you know. <laughs> so you're saying hi to the whole internet right now. You are. Everyone's, everyone's here and you say hi. Well, good to see you, Ed. So, I'm, I'm just, uh, just one thing though on Christian please. nationalism and I've, I've heard, uh, course uh, all kinds of uh, just lost my earbud 
heard lots of uh, different views on it, and it's still not completely clear what that definition is to me. Well, I think that's a question, Stephen. I think you just got a question. What's the definition of uh, Christian nationalism for someone who's not clear on exactly what it is? Yeah, I can I can try to answer that. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my definition is, uh, to put it simply, is that there's a, uh, you have a, a nation, or you have a, 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 a Christian, essentially a, a group of Christians um, who are self-conscious of them being a sort of um, a Christian nation. They understand themselves collectively as a Christian nation. And so they act to order themselves to uh, both uh, their earthly and heavenly good. So they arrange themselves with uh, social customs and civil law that will uh, not just uh, facilitate them having good lives and good vocations here and now, but also points them to heaven uh, as well. So that you know that would involve you know, like customs and, and laws. And, um, so that's I mean that's why it's very kind of broad, and it could look very different in different places. So if you mean by that, like, what's the, the American project? I mean, that's kind of a different question for, uh, it's kind of an application of the definition, but that's my definition. So again, it's just a, it's a Christian nation that understands itself as such or as a Christian people. And they, they essentially tell themselves, well, we're going to arrange and order ourselves for our good, which includes the highest, the highest good or, or Christian good. Um, so that's, so that's that is definition. pretty general. I mean, does that answer your question, Ed? Well, I, I, I guess kind of begs the question, where are we going um, when you hear the uh, secular media talk about Christian, Christian nationalism? They're, of course, they view it in negative light, and they think that Christians are going to try and take over the country and push, push their religion on us. That's what they want to do. So as Christians... So what concretely would that look like, though? I'm, I'm sorry to cut yeah. you off, Ed, but right. maybe if we can get concrete um, with our examples, it would help with this. So what, the nightmare scenario you're describing in the, the media, um, what do you think what do you think they're most afraid of? That like Christians will take their abortion rights or that they'll force everyone to go to church or like what is it you think? Just your impression, I guess, is what I'm asking. What, what do you think the big fear is? I, I was asking Ed. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, no, I, no, I was, I was uh, just wondering if you could make what you well, were I, more I think, concrete. Well, yeah. I, well, I think the the, the people, um, the I guess the the, the non Christians have this fear that we're going to uh, push our morality on them. And uh, um, take over the government, and then and dictate to them what uh, you know what our religious views. But uh, so violate from, our freedom of conscience. It sounds like yeah. But from saying, yeah. from but what is it exactly? Are we trying to do other than vote for a Christian, um, say, representative or something? What else can we do? I mean, there's oh, and don't forget to pray. But right. really, um, what else? What what else are we going to do? I yeah. mean, we, that's a good we're question. Have a, have a, create a new party that nobody will vote for. But okay, so that's like three questions. Let, let's pitch that to yeah. Stephen. Stephen, 
are you trying to create a, another party? And what do you think about this um, concern that Christian nationalism would violate freedom of conscience? Yeah, I'm kind of get. Can, can you hear me okay now? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, I can hear you. Um, it's probably better now. Um, yeah, I mean, we're getting into the kind of the movement question, which I'm uh, frankly not good at. <laughs> but um, but that's yeah. I, I uh, like what what are we doing now is a good question. Um, what do we do? I think we're still kind of in the planning, sorting things out stage. Um, and, uh, but I, in terms of like freedom of conscience, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, if they're, if they're like, if the secular elite are afraid of Christian nationalism, I mean, that's good because it actually does threaten their power. I mean, because there's no, I, I think we've, we've learned that there is no coexistence with these people. Um, they, they're, they are there to win and to dominate and to exclude. And so there's no coexistence. So, I mean, if the secular leader's scared, I mean, I think it's nowadays a little performative, but, um, for, for their own, like it's a rhetorical device. And, uh, but if they're legitimately scared, I mean, that's, that's kind of rational for them to be. So, I mean, in, in my view, and we should, um, see that as a, as a, as a good sign, because I mean, yeah, if you, if you want, like abortion rights and gay rights, and you want to, um, you know, exclude Orthodox Christians from institutions, uh, then uh, we're, we're going to push back on that because I mean, Christian nationalism is essentially Christianizing the institutions, and which, which, um, to my mind, is excluding people who would prevent that. Uh, and now, how we get there, of course, is a very complicated, difficult question to to answer. I, I usually my, my kind of stock answer is that well things change quickly. Um, uh, sometimes I mentioned that in, in the 1760s, no one, few people thought that they, that the United States would be in a war um, with with the crown, let alone um, declaring independence. Now I'm not saying we we need to go into a revolution, but just the point being that within a few short years things change rapidly, um, and so it's good to be thinking about these sort of things beforehand. Uh, and, um, but yeah, I think we should be kind of clear about the goal. I, I, someone asked me recently, I mean, another, same, similar questions, like, aren't these people like these, what do we say to the people who like are scared of Christian nationalism as well? Why are they scared? I mean, (laughs) they're scared because they're, they're, um, their, their dominance of the institutions is di- diametrically opposed to ours. And so if we were to have power, they would have to be excluded. I know that sounds like, I don't know what, what people, dictatorial, but we're already under that. But anyway. Um, I want to pitch it to Evan since he's been waiting patiently. And uh, thank you, Stephen, for weighing in on that. Um, Evan, uh, did you have a question for Stephen or a, just a point you wanted to make? Yeah, I did. I actually, so... One of the things I was thinking about as I was watching all of this blow up on Twitter this past week was I was remembering back to 2018 and when the statement on social justice came out. And at the time, I, I wasn't as aware of a lot of the voices on the right, but I was, I was like, finally, somebody's addressing this. And then I read through it and I was like, well, actually, there's, there's a fair amount of stuff in here that I disagree with. I was always kind of to the right of where a lot of the g3 guys were on some of this but i was like you know what i'm gonna put that aside i'm going to share this i'm gonna really put a lot of effort behind you know sharing this with my friends and stuff because i was willing to compromise in order to address that issue 
And I think you're seeing a lot of the same issues come up again now a few years later. But what you're seeing is the the sort of the left hand side of that is not willing to compromise with those of us to the right. And I think I think in some ways the way that the social dress the social justice issue was addressed makes it harder now because they a lot of these people really don't understand what critical race theory is. And, you know, there's sort of this idea that critical race theory is racism, right? Or that it somehow is racialism. Um, <clears throat> when, you know, in reality, you know, one of the sort of the fundamental tenets of CRT is, is that races don't exist, that it's a completely a social construct. And so I think that's where sort of this accusation against Stephen is coming from that, oh, he's, he's just, you know, woke, but on the right, um, that sort of thing. I, I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts about that, Stephen? Like, uh, maybe does some of this arise from the way that the social justice controversy was addressed back in like 2018? Yeah, I, I'll just say straight up. I mean, I, I think that that the like evangelical anti wokeness over the last few years has really just made even evangelicals dumber. Um, maybe I should say dumb. I don't know. I mean, that's not fair. But but it, it's it's made people like incapable of actually looking at the way society, the hierarchy of society right now, you know, so they, so they, they want to claim that, no, there are not these like racial hierarchies with, with, um, that, that have oppressed non-whites. They want, they want to say that. And so they critique the very idea that that's possible. No, of course that's not. But then you have today where, where our institutions are pretty explicitly like anti-white. I mean, it's just obvious that they are. And but now we don't actually have the the means to say it. And if someone says it, well, then they've committed a CRT. Uh, so I, I just and you know and so we've and this is not like identifying like uh, like scientific racism or biological realities. It's just being able to analyze the 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 basic society that we live in today, which is does have a sort of new racial hierarchy. Uh, that we have to contend with. I mean, this is why a lot of people, a lot of people on the right, love Tucker Carlson because he at least hints at the idea that no, like it's not hypocrisy, it's hierarchy. Like the reason why the left treats you differently than these other people is because of a racial hierarchy. Um, and uh, so, but I, I think that the the anti CRT kind of movement. And I think in like injustifiably pointing out really the nonsense that is within left-wing CRT has then eliminated like this ability for us to actually see the world as it is. It's like imported this, this ideology that makes it impossible to look at things. It's like, you know, and they give like, they have like these stock answers. Like it's the same way. It's like to my tweet, uh, like, you know, strand and, and uh, what's the name? James White will respond. Like there's no right. There's no race. or I mean, there's no white black in this in, in, in the church. And, and that's on all that. But I mean, but like sociologically, it is, there is that exists. It's true. Um, it's a sociological fact or a social fact. Uh, but we've, we've just been rendered incapable of actually seeing these things. That's again, they're, they're not true cosmically, but they are true so, socially. And like that's, you know, we live in society. So it's real. It's real enough for us in, in life. Um, so I, I, that's a long answer. Um, so, but uh, I guess the short answer is yes. I do think that like the social justice statement and all those people surrounded of that like really set us up to just be dumb and be like incapable of seeing 
the you know the, the the hierarchies that are being in place like before our eyes like we have to <clears throat> it's like we have to start believing absurd like we can't actually we have to like import this this ideology that um that really conceals like what's right in our face um so yeah yeah i i feel that i think we all feel that to an extent that there's obvious truths and you say them and you're called the extremist or you're called dangerous. You're, you're called all these names, but they're, it's our life. It's, it's every day that many of us uh, see some of these things Um, regarding the statement on social justice. I want to pitch it to you in a minute, David, uh, just to give you a forewarning. Um, When that first came out, I noticed, I think what you were talking about, Evan, which is the uh, language in it that suggested race is a social construct. It might even say that. I can't remember the exact phrasing. And that's, I think, one of the things that has set my critique of social justice apart from some, and maybe maybe others as well, not just me. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I know that that was one of the things I saw as a problem that many of the other big names in evangelicalism who are fighting wokeness, quote unquote, did not see. Or at least if they saw it, they um, they, they, dis- they disagreed with my assessment of that. And they, and they really did adopt this element of critical race theory that race is a social construct and they they use that in their critique of critical race theory uh to then i think give the impression that crt is uh simply racism it's a reverse kind of racism and that uh, it's too it, it believes in racial categories too much and of course racial categories are at least categories of ethnicity we'll use the biblical the greek word ethnic ethnos or nations these categories are inescapable that's just part of our life we we can't emancipate ourselves from the world god has created he's created it this way and in his providence uh, there's a certain order to it and um so anyway i signed the dallas statement just like you did evan but i've tried in my critiques and my books to make it clear that i i I think it's a mistake if we start going down that path of race is just a social construct. It's clearly not. Um, David, I know you were uh, pretty supportive of the Dallas statement. I mean, what do you think about that critique? Well, to say that to say that race is a is a social construct entirely is obviously not true. You know, in and of itself, the question the question is, you know, where do what problem do we get into when we start blurring the lines between our understanding of the race of Christ and the race of Adam, the, the new nation that is of believers of the, of, of the invisible church, we could call it, or the universal church even versus the, the social constructs and, and, and national constructs and things of the fallen world that we live in. It's, it's, it doesn't do anybody any good to pretend like reality doesn't exist. Like I've, I've heard people argue that Galatians three twenty eight. you know, there's, there, there's no male nor female. There is no Jew nor Greek, you know, um, no, no slave or master. These kind of things under Christ means that all, all earthly distinctions like this are wiped away, which obvi- is ridiculous, obviously. And, and they're, they're usually using it to try to wipe away gender roles to try to say that, to try to support egalitarianism. Um, but it's, it's, I would argue it's unhelpful and sometimes used as a crutch and a, and a sort of a, a defense mechanism in a way for for especially guys of my theological stripe, you know, Baptists, to sort of pull back from the culture war and almost almost 
you know, get, get real radical about their, about two kingdoms theology and say, now we don't have to do anything. You know, it's not really, we don't have to actually engage in the, in the hot button social and cultural problems of the day, because, you know, we're, we're only focused on the kingdom and we're, we're going to save people. And, and, and therefore we can disengage from all these other things. And that's just, I, I don't think that that's biblically supportable. It's certainly not, um, um, historical, uh, you know, Protestant or reformation, um, doctrine in any way. Yeah. Um, well, Adam, let me say too, just as like an example of this please. and how it makes us dumb is like, just take, I, I know this is a very fashionable and common, it sounds pious and spirits and all that. But like when James White said something to the effect of, uh, you know, I, I'm, I have more in common with the Chinese peasant and paddy fields than, than I do with the, you know, secular white neighbor next door or something like that. Well, that's just absurd. I'm sorry. Like that, you don't speak the same language. You don't have the same customs. Uh, you don't have the same like family arrangements. Um, you, you, you can't do anything together because you can't communicate or, or you don't understand each other. You don't have the same mutual expectations. I mean, it's just, it, it's just absurd to think that that's, that you have more in common. I mean, you share the highest good. I mean, he's, he's talking about like, you know, the, the Christian, the Christian Chinese man. Um, you have, you have, the, you have, you share the highest good in common with that person. Um, but that doesn't mean that because you share like the ultimate goal, which is eternal life, that therefore within temporal matters, you know, within the things of this world, which are essential for life, that you can actually get along better than other people. I mean, think of like, like even though like James Lindsay and I would probably get in a fight if we saw each other, he, he, he and O'Fallon can work together because, O'Fallon, you know, Al Fallon's a Christian, he's, and uh, Lindsay is an atheist, but they speak the same language, they have the same interests, they could talk about the same TV shows they want, they could, you know, complain about Biden all they want all day, they can both hate uh, Christian nationalism. I mean, imagine, like, O'Fallon going out to China, and he's like, yeah, there's this guy named Wolf, and he likes Christian nationalism, it's a really bad idea. But the Chinese guy would be like, what, what, are, you talking, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I mean, he wouldn't even say that because they couldn't speak the same language. So it's just like... Yeah, you know, I'm kind of rambling on, but it's just dumb. Like, well, it's, it's an dumb. error. It's an error of, it's an error of conflating the the visible church, the local church, the gathering of the body in a specific place with the universal church, right? And and the, the universal church and the all regenerate believers around the world is a reality, but it's not something that can be exercised practically in the way that we can love our neighbors and and love our our fellow church members. You know, and that, that, that becomes a problem because we say, okay, the first, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? Well, the people closest to me, and then it works out from there. So my, my family, my church, my community, these are, th these are people I can practically love. And while, yes, salvifically and, and in terms of um, my regeneration, yes, I have more in common with, the, with the, the Chinese Christian than I do with the pagan that lives next door to me. I'm not saying my next door neighbors are pagans, but you get my point. But but in terms of loving your neighbor, um, I have a much better chance, you know, like like you said, of of practically loving those who are closest to me, and that's that's where it all starts. But if I but but if I like you say, if I piously say, well, I have more in common with people, other Christians around the world, I kind of get myself off the hook for actually having to do anything, you know, in terms of practically loving, practically sharing the gospel, practically serving those closest to me in a material way that opens up the door to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, and, and, and Baptists, I mean, you know, this John Baptists are like, <laughs> we're uniquely guilty of this of this little oh, yeah. bait and switch, you know. 
Yeah, it, it, it's very pious sounding if you can say like I have uh, much in common with a Nigerian, you know, Christian woman than I do my neighbor who's not a Christian, but we listen to the same music, go to the same places, have the same experiences, ancestry, lineage, whatever. It, it, it sounds really good because I think what I don't know, Stephen, you might have a thought on this, but I, I came to the conclusion recently. I think I thought this for a while, but I, it was it became more clear in my mind that there's a pathology uh, among uh, Europeans, specifically Anglo peoples, because uh, I, I noticed it during the monument craze, and that's still going on, but when it started, what countries were the most aggressive towards tearing down their own monuments, their own history? Uh, obviously here in the United States. Uh, another place was South Africa. Another place was Great Britain. Those are probably the three places that had the most issues with this, ish, with, with this uh, whole uh, movement. And it strikes me as odd that, I mean, this is something that in the history of the world, I can't think of good examples. Uh, I mean, communist countries taking down what was before them or, you know, French revolution trying to start at year zero or something. I mean, th those are the nearest examples that I can come up with, but this is even more deep and pathological. This is, um, it, it's almost a, a hatred of home, a hatred of uh, personal lineage in some cases. I mean, I, I remember it was, like the great, great, great grandson or something of, of I think it might've been Robert E. Lee. Uh, it was one of these generals saying, oh yeah, my dad's, my, my great, great granddad's statue should come down. Right. It's like, like, who are you? Like th these are our, this, this is our history. So I, I didn't want to sidetrack to the monument issue. That was just one of the indications to me that there's something deeply pathological among, um, among U Europeans. Uh, and it, it's, I don't know that the pietist explanation that I keep hearing, well, they're, you know, they're just pietists and that's why they don't want to be involved in the civic arena. Maybe that factors in, I'm sure it does, but, but I'm seeing this in every institution. It's not just the church. It's, it's this um, unwillingness to defend oneself, unwillingness to fight, to assert oneself. Um, and, and then the moral goodness is when you give up power, give up privilege, uh, when you share, uh, when you have a, a closeness with those who you're actually not close with, but you love difference, um, and, and it's an obsession. And, and I don't exactly know where this comes from. And, and um, I, Stephen, I'll start. I don't know if David has uh, thought on this, but Stephen, let me start with you. Where, where does this come from? Do you agree with me, first of all, that this is a pathological oh, issue? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. I, I, I think that, so this one sociologist named Eric Coffin, he coined it, um, a term called uh, I think it's asymmetric cosmopolitanism. I think there's a National Review article that that he talks about this. It's asymmetric cosmopolitanism, which basically says that anyone who's you know quote unquote white, I say that because of course there's what we class classify as white actually contains you know dozens of ethnicities and subgroups and all that. But anyway, under under white quote, I have my fingers up. Um, uh, they they are expected to not have themselves any sort of culture ethnicity. Uh, they they are just individuals, and they, and if they do have a culture, it's bland and boring. Um, and so they they cannot be self affirming. Um, but the the asymmetrical part is that while they are, uh, while white people are expected, uh, both by themselves and everyone else to have this cosmopolitanism, they cannot expect it of anyone else, which means that uh, anyone who's essentially classified as non-white 
can have have they have full rights to um, their their ancestral or their their, their ethnicity have a, a self-affirming group identity uh, and can it even be kind of recognized in official documents and, and, and government forms and all that sort of thing. Whereas white people don't have an ethnicity, they're, they're classified as other. In fact, I just saw an army document that has uh, requires each soldier to have a reclassify themselves by race and ethnicity. And they have race, so it's white. But if you open up ethnicity, they have everything from like Filipino to Eskimo to um, Japanese. But they don't have Italian, they don't have Irish, they don't have um, German, they don't have um, Anglo, they have other. So if you are white, you are white other. Well, they've created an, an abstraction out of us. Yes, no, no, that, that's what you are. You are like an abstract individual, and your only good is essentially to facilitate other people's uh, uh, self-group like self identity, their group identity. So you, you're not allowed to have a group identity. That, that's... That's not to say like, oh, well, we ought to have white nationalism or a white nation or white ethno state, but it's to say that if you're like Italian, you you're really not allowed to have anything except some sort of like boutique ethnicity. Or like if you're Irish, you can you can have fun on St. Patrick's Day, you know, and, and joke about getting drunk um, or whatever. But you can't actually have this self-affirming identity as an Irishman. And you see this in Ireland today. What is Ireland? Ireland is literally like replacing itself with foreigners as we speak um, by the same logic, which is like that there's, they're essentially importing a importing asymmetric cosmopolitanism from the United States, which is where it originated. Um, so um, yeah, that, so, I mean, that's, so, that's, that's my explanation for what's happening. <laughs> it's hard to know how to, how to respond to that because if like, white people start saying no, well, then their only recourse is essentially a sort of white nationalism, which I think is a dead end. Um, so it's, it's hard to know, like, how do you, other than just not try not to play the game, um, well, I don't exactly respond to it. And I, like, yeah. I, I think it's very hard not to play the game and I get in trouble for it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that's my thought. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, you're good. I was at a conference over the weekend for the Apable Institute, uh, which is uh, kind of a smaller academic um, organization. And, and their whole goal is to preserve what's true and valuable in the Southern tradition, which is the Jeffersonian tradition. And um, and so, you know, very pro-Southern. There's people there from all over the place. But one of the speeches, uh, one of the guys who was giving a speech there said that w we have to resist this urge uh, and he's talking to Southerners in particular. If Southerners need to resist the urge to just be thought of as white or Trump country, to be made an abstraction or a character, and that the solution to the, the people who want to vilify white people and then Southerners as like the most the, the worst form of white people or something is to uh, it sounds cliche, but to love. You know, the the response to hate is to love. And he said, you just have to love your place. Love uh, the church down the road. Get involved. Get involved locally with anything you can. Uh, make sure you're putting time into your kids. You're teaching them. You're, give, you're giving them a dose of, of what they're not going to get at school. They, they, so they know their history. They know where they came from. They, they have an identity that's strong. Uh, that's what you've got to do. And it is hard work. And it takes all of us to, to work in this way. And, and I would say that to anyone. I don't care where you came from. Um, 
I know uh, later this week, there's, uh, I live in a very diverse area now and the church I go to is particularly diverse and, um, and he'll probably listen to this podcast. I'm not going to say his name, but I'm going to be helping for the first time in a pastoral internship, doing marriage counseling with uh, someone uh, from, well, their, their family goes back to uh, Jamaica and then they're marrying someone uh, whose family, uh, I believe uh, they go back to um, Haiti, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so these two people are getting married and I would say to them the same thing, right? It's not like this is unique to Southerners or white people or anyone. I would say you have a responsibility to love where you are and, and the things that are in proximity to you is where you're going to devote your time. And that's the only way to uh, fight these people who want to make everything an abstraction, push it all through ideology, uh, put labels on everything, whether it's good or bad, if it conforms to that ideology. And it's to say, no, that life is more complicated than that. Life is more beautiful than that. God made it that way for a reason. And we can depreciate true diversity. Um, so th- that's just my little soapbox. Uh, th- and that's my solution. I know it's not like a it's a big government, let's take it over kind of solution, although that would be great. <laughs> but it's it's each of us have to to start um, where we're at with what we have. So um, any thoughts? And you haven't said anything for a while, David. Any any thoughts on any of that? Hey, let me jump in and say I, I got to run, but thanks for letting me jump in. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Stephen. Um, hey, I, it was unexpected, but very appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Well, it's it's... I mean, like we said before, that's the, the, the practical outworking of all of this is, is really what matters because we live in an information age where, you know, like if, if I said, Hey, the industrial age really separated, started to separate people from place, you know, with mass, mass transport and mass media starts to become a thing. The information age has separated people from their own body, almost their own like physical existence where they are. And so it's, it's really easy in our affluent um, society where we use the information, you know, information technology to craft our own reality. It's really easy in that framework to throw out silly claims like, um, you know, true love of neighbors, loving everybody around the world equally as if that's, that's somehow possible, point. you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but, but it's, it's easy for us to, to say that piously on Twitter or whatever, without really, you know, figuring out, does that even work? Does that even make any sense? And so it's, you know, like, like, for instance, we have, we, we have wonderful, you know, like folks on the chat right here that I know are like patrons of, of, of conversations that matter and patrons of protesting even, you know, places, you know, and, and we love them and that's wonderful, but there's no chance that I can practically love them the way that I can practically love my own family, my own church, the people nearby. And that it doesn't matter what their ethnic background is. They're the people that God has put in my sphere. And so to the best of my ability, I'm going to love them the best I can in, in accordance with what Jesus taught us. This is, it's really, it's, it's not as complicated as we're making it out to be. And like for me as an American, yes, that involves exercising the liberty God has granted me and the governing role he has granted me as a, a participant in self-government, you know, and, and that's where, that's where I think some of that common ground has to come, come to bear with regard to the, the, the common ground between the two sides of this debate is like, you know, 
is is there there's the practical outworking of this there's the strategic outworking of this like you know for instance people are asked okay do we even use the term christian nationalist because it's been so tainted by the world it's been set up as a as a trap you know they call january 6th the big christian nationalist thing um yeah and that's a debate worth having but we have to start by by getting that common ground figured out and and realize that in so many of these instances we're just talking past each other yeah it's which is why we have to be careful to try to give the benefit of the doubt where we can and, and try to at least understand. Our goal should be understanding. Um, David, check this out. I don't know if you saw this. This just happened. But uh, Ali Beth Stuckey apparently weighed in on this whole issue in favor of Stephen. Uh, she says, uh, this tweet is floating around Christian Twitter and people I highly respect are pushing back against it. I've never read anything by Wolf, but this tweet by itself seems to me to be obviously be talking about the fact that statistically white evangelicals as a block are the most conservative. So um, that's how I took it. I think that's how you took it. And that's right. how Allie Beth Stuckey is taking it. She's a, a little bit of a bigger name in this. Um, but but uh, Simply Grace wanted me to share that. And so I'm sharing it. Um, we've been going a little over an hour. Uh, so I think we're going to land the plane here. Um, I know you just said a bunch, David, which was good. Any final thoughts you want to share before we close? Uh, just, just, you know, uh, for everybody who's watching a prayer for me while I put the article together, I'm working on, I'm, I'm trying to, like I said, find, find the common ground here and, and maybe people will be like, uh, we don't care what David from Protestia says about the common ground for this, but, it, but if nothing else, you know, our, our place in the ecosystem is sometimes to provide the, the intellectual or research yeah. firepower that bigger names and you know, like more respectable types will use to, to forward the conversation. So yeah. I'm grateful that, for what you do. Attempt. Yeah, I think many of us are grateful for what you do, David, and I know you take a lot of shots for it. So I just want to say, you know, I appreciate it. And uh, and, and this isn't even your full-time job or anything. No. This, this is a labor of love on your It is part, definitely a labor of love. Um, which I, I so appreciate. And like I said, I mean, I just did taxes, right, last week. And so I don't have, like, any money, but I will give you $100 <laughs> if, if you could. It's not much, but if you No, no, no. You know, hold on. Hold on to that for gap. sure. It's 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 the gap. the more the more uh solid <laughs> and really the and and not only solid but but authentic voices that we have in this, you know. It because it it costs everybody. It costs it costs you something personally to be John Harris that people know and on the internet and things yeah. like, I think I told you this before. I've, I've had folks at my church come up to me and other pastors and say, should we trust? Should, is it okay that we're listening to John Harris conversations that matter? <laughs> like, yeah, it's okay. That's a good source. <laughs> they probably heard that someone say it's dangerous or something. It's it, Yeah, um, it's possible. Or, or yeah. you know, it just because you've been such a respectable voice for, for, for years now in conservative circles, that's, you know, yeah. we, we always need more of that, of course. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. Um, yeah, I'm just going to uh, share what I've been thinking about for a few days, but it's really, I think, just pertinent right now. Um, I'm thankful for Stephen and for, for a very simple, I mean, I'm thankful for him for more than this, but there, there's a very simple reason right now I'm thankful for him. And that is whether or not you agree with his book. And I've read it. I've taken a lot of notes. I interviewed him a number of times. So I've tried my best to understand where he's coming from. Whether you agree or not, he's moving the needle. And he's moving the needle, I think, in a direction that's good. He's raising questions that haven't been asked. He's challenging evangelical elites in ways that they haven't been challenged. And they need to be challenged on these matters. Uh, we need to be thinking about how our Christian witness affects our political and social life, uh, how it should. Is, is power a good or a bad thing? Should we be seeking that in the temporal realm? Uh, these are all worthwhile discussions to have. And Christians used to have them. 
uh, I think even even the framework that Stephen brings that he's getting in, in trouble for now, which is that he, he acknowledges there are distinctions among people. This was just assumed for centuries up until about five seconds ago. That this would have been universal. Read, read just about any dead Christian guy out there and you're going to find uh, the theology uh, is going to be very similar to or the, the ideas are going to be very similar to the way Stephen is conceiving of the world. And for that reason alone, I'm thankful that he's bringing some of these things up and uh, exposing, in my opinion, too. He's, there are some people that have been, I think, embarrassed, perhaps, but exposed through their reaction, their over-the-top reaction to some very simple truths. Um, so, so that, you know, whether, again, this is whether you agree with Stephen or not, I think he's doing a, a great service here. And uh, and I just want to say that, I, I, you know, Stephen's not on here to... <laughs> to to hear me say this but maybe he'll hear it later and uh you know steven if you if you do hear this you know i just want to encourage you um even even having your own publishing company push back on you for this uh, but you're not backing down and we need more examples of that and i know uh, i'm sure david you agree with that that we we need more examples of people like john MacArthur who don't back down they say what they believe and you know they're they're not arrogant about it but if they have a conviction they stick by it i'm so sick of seeing people <laughs> Mm-hmm. That without convictions, without consistency, who don't stick by things. I think Stephen's going to be a real leader moving forward just because of that, that it's, bravery. It's the, it's, it's probably my biggest pet peeve right now is with what I, what I term, um, uh, Christian institutionalists who, you know, they, they, what they say or how they say it, or when they say it, or who they target versus who they don't target is all based on, it's based less, less off of theological principle and more based off of, um, this idea of maintaining the reputation of the institution, you know, maintain their own position. And, and it's, it's real sneaky. They do this by way of saying our institution promotes the gospel and often it, it very much does. Therefore, anything that might negatively affect our institution is against the gospel ministry. It's a little bait and switch though, which just happens to also correspond with what is, um, in their self-interest. But yeah. yeah, it drives me up a wall. Yeah, no, same. That's <laughs> that's my biggest pet peeve too, I think. Um, well, David, thank you so much. Protestia.com if you want to uh, support the ministry that David's involved with there and uh, you want to read the article he's working on writing. And uh, I just appreciate everyone being here for the live stream. More coming later this week. God bless. Thanks, John. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.